Welcome into Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host as always, JJ Jerez with me, of course, Arif Dean of Mile High Sports and Peter Baugh of The Athletic joining us from Nashville. Um, of course, we're here to break down all things Colorado Avalanche and, of course, all three of those last three games. This is going to be a longer podcast, right? Arif and I, were bringing you the post games from Ball Arena. These ones are going to be a little bit more widespread across the uh, entire series so far. So, of course, the Avalanche scores seven goals for the second time uh, in the series already, take a commanding 3 nothing lead. And uh, I guess, Eric, Peter, let's start with you. I mean, you're in Nashville. How, how's it treating you so far? How was the atmosphere in yesterday's game? Yeah, it's been a good time. I uh, I like Nashville a lot. I went here a couple times when I was covering college football. And um, yeah, great city, a lot of fun, fun stuff to do. The atmosphere at Bridgestone Arena was, uh, it wasn't, I don't think it was as bad as some people were making it sound, but I was definitely like expecting a little bit more just because of what I'd heard of, of that crowd in the past. Like I've heard it's like a really hostile environment and like a good good place to, to watch a hockey game. And it was definitely a little more, it was definitely a little more chill than I expected. But by the second period, like when they tied the game at two and when they tied it at three, like it was pretty loud at that point. But it just maybe wasn't quite as loud as I was expecting, but it was still a, a good time and it's been a good trip. So that's kind of the way it came off to me on TV because, you know, obviously you're in Nashville, you're at the game. I was watching it on TV and it kind of. Before Vegas was Vegas, Nashville was the city, especially after their 2016 or 2017 run where everybody was talking about how Nashville is this crazy, hostile environment, super loud. And it is like, you know, it always would be. And they do the chance that it's all your fault chance with the goalies after they let in a goal. And But for whatever reason on TV, it kind of didn't feel as loud as I thought. So I'm glad it kind of translates to what you experience in the arena. Uh, was it a sold out crowd? Cause there was some empty seats. It was really, yeah, strange. that's, that's I, what I noticed. It was tech. It was technically a sellout, but yeah, yeah I mean, they was, always say that. I, I mean, I think by there were points where it looked pretty full, but it definitely took a while to fill up and it wasn't, I, I would guess it probably wasn't a hundred percent full. There's, I don't know, maybe a, a two thirty or whatever three thirty local in Nashville on a Saturday is a weird time. I don't know. It it just seems like yeah. that the buzz isn't as much as it was, you know, four or five years ago in that city when they were really like the hot market on on the block for the NHL, basically. And maybe it goes a little different if Nashville had eked out an overtime yeah. win in game two and it was tied, and instead it's like it just feels the series feel like does not feel like it is trending in a very good way for the Nashville Predators, and maybe that's just people kind of notice that. Yeah, I, I feel that. That that makes sense. If there's one thing I know about day drinkers, too, it's tough to get them to stop day drinking. So <laughs> if you're there on Broadway and you're saying, hey, it's game time, boys, you know, it's going to take them a while to get off One more, Broadway. one more, one more. We'll, we'll get there <laughs> yeah, after, exactly. and then they get there, and it's like 3 nothing, and they're like, what the f- yeah. So with, with the hostile environment from the crowd, I mean, it's been a pretty physical series. Kind of, I wouldn't call it hostile. It seems like game one was really the most, quote unquote, hostile. And then uh, the physicality, I wouldn't call it dipping, but it's also slowing down a little bit throughout the series. I guess what is the physical play in this series so far done for you? What are you guys seeing from it? Yeah, I I think it's honestly started to become a little overstated. Like, I think the the cries to play Curtis McDermott in game four don't make a ton of sense to me just because at this point the best way for the avalanche to get out of this series without any injuries is to get the series done with as quickly as possible 
And the quickest way to do that is to play your best players that give you the best chance to win. And to me, that's not what Curtis McDermott is. Um, obviously, he plays a role that he's well-liked by his teammates, but I think that was maybe more of a regular season role and maybe doesn't have as much of the same effect in the playoffs. And I think that... So I don't really see the logic there. But yeah, there's definitely... I, I guess yesterday there was maybe a little chippiness with like the... There was the Forsberg bold, boarding on O'Connor... Uh, and that and that was really the one instance where people got kind of upset. But like, I don't know. It, it, yeah, I, I would say that the physicality has maybe been a little overstated. Honestly, I'm I'm watching a lot of series, and there there's not a lot going on. And I think it's I think part of it is the fact that it's not just the three to nothing series, but like the games haven't been close. The Avalanche dominated them in game one, dominated them in game three on the score sheet, dominated them in game two, but obviously needed overtime to get that second goal um hell you could argue they dominated them even more in game two than they did in one or three when they scored a seven you know put seven past their goalies uh and on those nights so it just kind of i mean like and this is good for the abs like it just kind of feels like nashville seems defeated and they're not pushing back as much as i don't know Klingberg and Kachuk fighting three times in three games, pretty much, or Toronto and Tampa Bay. My favorite thing every morning now is to wake up in the morning and find out who from Toronto and who from Tampa Bay in my inbox got a $5,000 fine. Cause it feels like every time they play a game, it's like Simmons, 5,000, uh, Maroon, 4,300, Belmar, 3,000. So like, did Belmar get fined? No, I'm just throwing. Okay. Yeah, no, no, there was, there was a bunch of, bunch of guys. He wasn't one of them, but, uh, there's always Simmons and there's always Maroon. I feel like they had it yeah, twice yeah, now. Yeah. But that's kind of what I'm noticing from the series is like, especially yesterday, like, yeah, Nashville, I mean, every playoff game, every playoff series is going to have some physicality, going to have some things like the Forsberg and O'Connor hit and, you know, things going on after the whistle, like we saw with Matthew Olivier and Gabe Landeskog back here in Denver and, you know, Nazem Kadri and Luke Cunning and so on and so forth. But it just seems like the more the series goes on, instead of it getting more physical, Nashville is just like, they're defeated and they're, they don't even have it physically right now, which I mean, I don't blame them. They're getting, they're getting smoked in all these games, but it's, it's a best case scenario for the avalanche. If you ask me. Yeah. yeah. And that obviously can change. Like they could, they could 100%. come out firing. But I think that like, if you look at like yesterday, like the, uh, people were really worked up about the, um, about the, the stick Johansson stick going in Kemper's mask. That was unintentional. Like, yeah, I, I think, I mean, Johansson was like very apologetic, very adamant. It was unintentional. Landis Gog was like, that's definitely unintentional. Bednar was like, that's unintentional. It, yeah, it, it was like, that's the play that people are most upset about. And it was one that was pretty clearly not an intentional. Did play. you guys see what Jamie Ben got fined for? No. So Mangiapani, yeah. Yeah, they called it a high stick. But basically what happened was... Ben was in the crease of his own goalie of Ottinger, you know, helping helping out, like, you know, clear the crease area. And as Ottinger is covering the puck, Mangiapan is behind the net and he falls into the net from the back. So now his face is up against the back of the net. Ben, from inside the crease, pokes through the net and just starts poking at Mangiapani's <laughs> face with his stick. It was the funniest thing. And he does it without even looking. He's just like, like just stabbing at this guy's face. And, you know, they called it a high stick in the email, but I'm just like, all right, so that is intentional. You cannot intentionally do what happened with Johansson there because that's 
it's just it's not a, or Johansson. It's not a thing that you you plan. It's as as much as people want to be like that. They want to think that that's something that you can plan or do purposely. Like it really isn't. It's just terrible luck to Kemper that has now happened twice in three years. Yeah, I mean, and with Gabe Landeskog, right? Nobody really wants to see him fighting, but he's out there. He can easily take care of business. Yeah. You've got a guy like Manson who seems to be completely willing to take care of business when needed. So yeah, I, I think. Anybody calling for McDermott is is calling for the wrong guy. I think Newhook's the guy I want to see in the lineup at some point, uh, whether it's this series or the next. I think he's got offense to bring to the table rather than just simple physicality. So um, with that, you guys kind of got into the Kemper injury a little bit. Let's get uh, an update from it. And um, you guys kind of gave your thoughts on the stick, but what do you think about Kemper and his, uh, his return? And if he doesn't return soon, how... Uh, confident are you in France who's being able to play behind this team like he said yeah so Kemper the the report from practice today is just that there's no damage to his eye there's obviously no concussion all it comes down to is just whether the swelling is down enough for him to be able to see out of the eye well enough to play and if it is then he'll play tomorrow and so I I don't think honestly it's it seems like the Avs caught a break there. Like it, it, they, it does not seem like it is that serious. So I would guess that he'll, maybe he misses tomorrow's game, but he probably won't miss more than tomorrow's game, which is, I think, all things considered, good. So, for yeah. So they definitely caught a break because that looked brutal. The camera, the camera angle on TV, the way they showed it was like, the camera was up the ice, and then they just kind of like veer back to the Avalanche zone. And Kemper skating above the circles, and then you just see him do that like twist and go down and hold his face thing that he did, and like we 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 didn't see anything before that. We had no idea what happened. We saw nobody calling for the medical staff, so it was very strange. But just his reaction and the way he was holding onto his face felt like it was a lot worse than it was. So definitely caught a break. Um, the thing that's a little confusing to me is the amount of people that I've seen that have been calling or requesting or tweeting for the avalanche to not risk it and rest Kemper. And I'm a little confused by that. Like resting yeah, for it's not Because it's not an injury that's like... Yeah, it's not like a bum shoulder where you're like, yeah, rest, yeah, you know, Kadri like sitting here make moving it, his shoulder. You're not going to yeah. make it worse. Yeah, like it's, it's just, just... If the swelling goes down, he's ready. There's yeah. there's no swelling coming back in the first period. Like there's no post-concussion, post-swelling syndrome. Like there's nothing that's yeah. going to come back. So I, it's just, it's a matter of... Are you good enough to go? Yes. All right. Go close out the series for us, you know, in game four. But uh, that's a little uh, definitely a big break for the avalanche. Peter, I do want your opinion on Frankie, uh, how he played. Yeah, I thought he was fine. I Look, Pablo Francis is a fine goaltender. That's just he's a lovable guy and he's a good, good goaltender who's probably not going to win you. I think if need be. The Avs can get out of this series with Pablo Francouz. I mean, look at who Nashville's playing in net. They're yeah. playing their third their third string guy. Pablo yeah. Francouz can can he's pro he's probably better than Connor Ingram. He's he's better than their except, second guy. <laughs> and he's and he's better than David Rittich. So like and the Avs have a better team on the ice. So I think that the Avs would have a, a pretty pretty good chance against uh Nashville without him. I think when you go beyond that game, then it gets a little dicier. Um, and I think that Colorado would would be able to contend with a lot of teams, but their chances still go down. I mean, I think Pablo Francouz is 
a league average goalie is how I would put it. And I think Colorado can go for a while with that, not forever, but it looks like Darcy Kemper's injury isn't too bad. I guess, Eric, what's your hesitation to not rest, or I guess your hesitation to rest Darcy Kemper there? Because I think you're, you're set up perfectly uh, to have this 3-0 lead and the potential time that it's going to take for the Minnesota and St. Louis series to finish. You could have a solid week, if not a pinch more, for Darcy Kemper to not only heal up but rest up and get ready. You know, I guess are are you is part of you worried that Francis loses that game or uh, Peter? Uh, you go. You both are raising your yeah. hand. So here, I here's, mean, you go ahead, Peter. Go, yeah, yeah. Or I was just gonna. I'll be quick. You play the lineup that gives you the best chance to win. You don't mess around. I mean, it's not a guarantee that Darcy Kemper wins tomorrow. It's not a guarantee that Pablo Francis wins tomorrow. You have a better chance with Darcy Kemper. Here's um, here's the way that I see it. Number one, the series isn't over. Like I, we're 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 pretty much talking like it is and. More than likely, I mean, it's over, Arif, I know. But, like, number one, the series isn't over. Number two, you want to get all of these guys rest. So if Darcy Kemper plays game four, if he's healthy enough to play game four, you put him in for game four, you give yourself the best chance to win. He wins. He and the rest of the team get five, six, maybe seven days between games. I don't want to say days off because they will practice, but five or six or seven days between games. Well, what happens if you put Pavel Francouz in? And it's another game like game two where the difference between the Avalanche winning and the Avalanche losing were a few pretty damn good saves that Darcy Kemper made when it was 1-1 for so long, especially in overtime. So if another performance like that comes, now you're sitting there like, okay, Kemper maybe could have saved that. You know, you can obviously never compare how a goal, how a game goes if another goalie's in, but like Kemper could have maybe saved that. And now to give Kemper a rest for a game, we're going to make the entire team play another game. Oh, and by the way, Kemper's going to play game five now because Frankie lost game four and couldn't close it out. So that's kind of my thing. Like Peter said, give your team the best chance to win. The series isn't over, and the reward for Kemper coming back and not resting game four is everybody gets like pretty much a week to rest. So that's it, that's kind of the way that I see it. Exactly. Either way, there's a, a rest built in there, right? Yeah. I think it is a good opportunity to give Francis some minutes. But, um, no, I like what you guys are saying, and l- let's just wrap this up, and then everybody gets to rest. So why not feel Basically. the best team you can feel? Or, I guess, ice, right? Yeah, and also, like, getting Francis minutes in the regular season matters. It doesn't matter all that much in the postseason. Mm-hmm. You're not going to you're not gonna get where you want to go with him as your starting goaltender. You need... You need Darcy Kemper. That's why Darcy's here, and he's he's ready for it. There's there's nothing about Darcy Kemper that says to me he can't play every other night with you know breaks in between series for for the next two months. Well, especially at this pace, this thing's going to be over in sixteen games anyway. He's got sixteen. <laughs> games in him. Yeah, three down, thirteen to go. They're three <laughs> games closer. That's it. That's all it takes. Um, let's look at Kale McCarr's play as of late. Of course, he's leading the team in points right now, and second among. All participants in the playoffs in points only behind Brad Marchand. I guess um, we've seen the game that he had a ton of shots. Uh, you know, we, we know that's kind of the way the system is designed for him, though, right? Jared Bednar's structure involves a lot of shots from the blue line. But either way, he's he's been awesome. So I guess my question to you guys, is he so far exceeding your guys' expectations? Or are you just seeing the Kale McCarr that you've watched all year long? He's he's exceeding expectations. It's, it's really strange to say that because like, think of the way we were talking about kill last summer. Think of the way that we talked about his contract signing for 9 million. And we're like, yeah, bargain six years, sign me up. And then he came in in the regular season 
and blew away everybody's expectations of what he was last year when he almost won the Norris and the year that he won the Calder, you know, uh, in 2019-20. It just, it's amazing how he's still growing. Like, Nathan McKinnon does his Nathan McKinnon thing every single year, and we're like, yeah, that's Nathan McKinnon. But then Kel McCarr is out here like, amazing defenseman his rookie year, comes back the next year, blows that away, comes back in his third year, blows that away, comes out for the playoffs, blows away what he was doing in the regular season. It's just, To me, he's exceeding expectations. He's not he's not in his prime yet, and it's very Connor McDavid-esque for a defenseman when McDavid put up 100 points, and we're like, oh my God, he's amazing, and then he puts up 108, and then 116, and then he plays a 55-game season and puts up 105. Like It's just game after game. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about where my expectations were exactly going into this series, but, I mean, Kel McCarr's a, a heck of a player. And I guess it's I'm not shocked that he's having this level of success in these moments because I remember the Vegas series last year where when the Avs were struggling, he was still out there and looked like the best player on the ice a lot of the time. That's and true. I think that's... That's just kind of who this guy is. And I think the fact that the Avs have a guy like that, both at center and at defense, is is pretty pretty fortunate. Yeah, for sure. I think my 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 favorite thing to look at is, and I love the the way the NHL set up the uh, the schedule this year, where there's no like there's no three days between games for any series. The same four teams play Saturday, the same four play Sunday, the same four Monday, and it's just every other night these four games those four games so my favorite thing to do is to look at stats and standings and all the different things that you can see after every two days after every game one after every game two after every game three and after every game three evander kane and, and nathan or gabe landeskog and a whole bunch of guys had six points kill mccarr was the one guy in the nhl that had seven points obviously brad marchand just played game four put up a five point night he's up to nine but kill mccarr was the one guy in the nhl with seven points in his first three games and i'm just like he's He's a defenseman. He's incredible. Yeah, we'll see how long he can keep it up, right? I mean, obviously, once you get into the second round, it throws a whole new, uh, I guess, curveball at you, and we'll see how he adapts. I don't anticipate him slowing down by any means, but we do know from the regular season, right, he went through that wave of goals and then a wave of not scoring goals. So let's see how he maintains his consistency because it's still been a small sample size. We've only seen three games so far. Yeah, as, as Peter likes to call him, Kale, I'm not going to score two goals every night, Makar, and then goes out to score two <laughs> goals the very next night. That was that was a highlight of, of the regular season. Yeah. Yeah, with him, uh, I think we got to touch on Gabe Landeskog's return. Peter, I know you wrote about it um, yesterday, and I, obviously his presence has been palpable, right? Three goals, three assists so far. And, you know, any team's going to be injected with swagger, confidence, whatever you want to call it when they get their ca captain back. But... I guess, how, just how have you felt about his impact so far in his return? I mean, I think he looks awesome. I thought, especially on the power play, like you just see how comfortable he is right in front of the net in the crease and, and in those areas. And I mean, yesterday it was, he made that that backhand play where he got the rebound. He got, I think, a rebound off Ranton and put it on net. Inger makes another nice save. He takes that rebound and roofs it backhand. And it's like, that's not an easy play, and he makes it look easy. He's so comfortable in those areas, and I think that that's just vital for the avalanche. And you see, especially with this power play unit, at the end of the year, there are points where they were in little bits, like they were in a little bit of a rut, and he uh, he he helps with that. I mean, it's I mean, I'm sure there will be parts in the postseason where their power play isn't doing what it's supposed to, but I think that he's he's been excellent, and the fact that. 
they have him on the second line where he seems to have good chemistry with Lekkonen and obviously Kadri is is pretty pretty darn beneficial. Yeah, he's been he's been incredible. He something about him, he makes a difference just by his presence, like just by being there, just by being Gabe Landis. And that sounds so cliche and tacky and hockey speak, but like it's such a real thing. Just having him around, the team is better. And it's not like, you know, he's around playing five minutes and not playing well. Like he's a big part of why they're a better team. But something about his presence, man, this guy, he's he's truly the leader of this team for a reason. Yeah, and I think when you guys mentioned Devon Taves as well, right? I mean, he's such a parallel just on the defensive side. So having the, both those guys jump back in the lineup, I think uh, it does so much for the guys around them, right? A, a lot of weight gets taken off their shoulders and, and gets added on to those two guys who know how to carry it and know how to be the leaders. I mean, like we talked about the McDermott situation, right? Landis Gog's there. He's, he's going to stand up for anybody who needs standing up for, and he'll stand up to anybody. So, um, you know, that's something that gets taken off the next guy, whoever that may be, or even uh, it, it takes away the thought of putting in McDermott. So I think the value of, of both a guy like Landeskog and Taves is just you can't put a value to it because they bring so much to the table and so much that we don't see as well, right, it, within the locker room. And, um, you know, especially in these COVID times, we don't get to see as much as we're used to. So, you know, they are carrying their weight and being those vocal leaders in that room. Devon Taves is a... In, like he's a Swiss army knife for this team. He, when he's in the lineup and when he's out of the lineup is a completely different team. And you can say that about a lot of guys, but you can't say it to the extent that it is with him missing. Like something about him is I just think, so complimentary I, for Kel McCarr. Go ahead. I think they were five, 10 and one yep. without him this year. I yeah. think that was their and they had They had 19 regulation losses and how many regulation yeah. wins? I want to say 56. Yeah, I think 56. Yeah. So they were 51 and 9 and without counting the OT losses, they were 51 and 9 with him in, 5 and 10 with him out. Yeah. Like that's that's just a mind-boggling number to me. Yeah, he's uh he's pretty special and I think honestly like all the defensive pairs at this point, I think have really good chemistry and yeah. I mean, I think that's I think Samuel Gerrard's play has been really encouraging. I know that he had the one blunder in game 2, but like he made the right, he made a good read on the play and just the puck got through him, which you can't let happen. But like, I think he's matched Nashville's physicality. He, I mean, he's mm -hmm. taken some hits, but he gets back up and he hasn't. And I think it's less the taking hits and more if the hits like Vegas, he, in the Vegas series, he looked almost like scared, you he know, was like getting he lit up against Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and it wasn't that he was taking the hits. It was let it, it was that the hits were getting him away from his game. And in this series, I think he's looked pretty comfortable in a physical series. And I think that's definitely encouraging. And I think it definitely speaks to the impact that Josh Manson has just of like Manson can win some of the puck battles, get him the puck in some open space where he can do what he does best. Yeah. And I, Tiptoeing off of the Manson thing, I want to ask you, Peter, about something JJ and I talked about one of the games. I don't know which one. They're kind of a blur at this point. But it's it's great having you on for this episode because I'm really curious of your opinion. You were there for all three games. Every single friggin' guy the Avalanche got at the deadline, including yep. the four minutes of Cogliano, and then Lekkonen, Manson, and a very underrated, damn good playoff performance from Nico Sturm. 
Yep. Just what what are your thoughts about them? Because I want to start with Nico Sturm because you can talk about Manson and we are gonna and you know the fact that he's made for the playoffs and he even said that I'm a playoff performer, whatever he said in his press conference. Artery Lekin and scoring goals, but Nico Sturm looks freaking good. He's in every yeah. play, he's physical and he's he's just been I don't want to say dominant for a fourth liner, but he's been so good. Yeah, I mean, I think you look at like, I kind of split the the deadline acquisitions into two. So like Manson and Lekkonen were the big ones. Yeah, and then sure. Sturm, Sturm and Cogliano were kind of the second tier guys. And I think Nico Sturm has been exactly, I think that the whole fourth line has been really freaking good. This, And that's why I know JJ said he's hoping Newhook gets in. I don't see why you change the lineup at this point, especially if you're, I mean, maybe you put them in the third line for Obey Kubel, That's, but I think that, that, would be the spot, yeah. that I think that they've got such good chemistry right now on the fourth line, whether it's O'Connor or Cogliano in, and then Helm and Sturm. I think Sturm is just, he, there, he, he's playing so aggressive and he's forechecking really hard. And it was nice to see him get, it was nice to see that whole fourth line get rewarded with Makar's goal in overtime because that was that goal happened because Nico Sturm put the puck on net and that led to a rebound that Kale Makar got with traffic in front and then Logan O'Connor jumped and did the exact right thing. And he had a great chance as well that was stopped. He He's just been... And I agree, the fourth line has been incredible. Darren Helm has elevated his level of play. I kind of want to consider him kind of like an acquisition because... We've never seen Darren Helm play in the playoffs with the Avalanche. Hell, he hasn't played in the playoffs since he was 29. Uh, it's been a yeah, while. I mean, it's a re it's a remade fourth line. Like if you look at it, like they the fourth line is three of these four guys, uh, or maybe three of these five. You could say that the the three they're the five potential fourth liners if everyone's healthy are Helm, Sturm, Cagliano, O'Connor, and Obe Kubel. And only one and, is a holdover. Yeah, and that and and only played a little bit last year. Exactly. Like O'Connor, like he was hurt for a lot of last year. This is by far the most he's yeah. played. And then Darren Helm was an off-season signing, and then they got Nicholas Obey Kubel off of waivers, and then brought in Cogliano and Sturm. And then obviously we saw who they started with the first game: Helm, Cogliano, and and Nico Sturm. And something about and it's such a silly thing to say about a fourth line when you're three lines deep and you got skill on every line, but. Joe Sackick approached the fourth line about as good as you possibly can in the sense where it's like you need specific kinds of players. I always think back to like the random names that stick out in the playoffs. There was uh, that one year Anaheim had like Samuel Paulson and Rob Niedermeyer. There was the year that friggin' Mike Rupp scored a Stanley Cup winning goal with 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 uh, New the Jersey Devils. and then uh, yeah with the Devils and then he signs with Pittsburgh and then he wins another cup. Like there's certain guys that are made. The Red Wings godforsaken line of Draper, McCarty, and Maltby that were like the most annoying line. I hate them, but I love them, but I hate them. And it's like every single time they want a cup, those three guys were there. McCarty left, came back, they won a cup when he came back. So like there's a certain type of ilk of playoff line, playoff player that you need in those depth roles. And it's what we're seeing from Darren Helm. He's elevated his game. It's what we saw from Cogliano in four minutes. It's what we're seeing from Nico Sturm that's making me fawn over him. And it's what we're seeing from Logan O'Connor. Everybody, every one of those guys, and even Abe Kubel playing on the third line right now, um, has brought the same kind of game. 
Yeah, I mean, I only my only thought with Nico Sturm is we remember in game one, right, when Jared Bednar was in the post-game presser and given the, I guess, the update on Cogliano, he also threw in there that Nico Sturm was banged up and we'll see how yeah. he goes. He ended up playing game two, no problem, but I was keeping an eye on him and he wasn't taking many face-offs. So for him to kind of come in and make this impact um, while maybe even playing through, you know, a playoff injury that you can still play through, I think just, just says everything you need to know about the typical fourth line I guess, prototype, right? At the end of the playoffs when everything's said and done and it comes out, oh, this guy was playing with whatever ailment. Um, you know, I think that's exactly what you expect from a fourth line. I'm and that's so... a good observation on the face-offs. And Bednar addressed that today and said he is still dealing with a little bit, but they're kind of, their, mind, their mindset is that Helm's also capable at taking face-offs. So they're just having him do that to like kind of save Sturm from doing it. Yeah, that was the thing that I noticed in game one and asked Jared about it why Helm was suddenly taking mm -hmm. face-offs. And it's like, I'm really curious what it is that is negating Nico Sturm or stopping Nico Sturm from having like the full, you know, potential that he usually has, I guess, and taking a face-off, but then he's still playing like a bull and he's still in every, like, I'm really curious what the injury is. There are certain things that you don't think of. Like, it's always funny to me that a wrist injury, like, Hockey players can play on a lot of things. Austin Matthews got a wrist injury. He couldn't shoot anymore. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. But like, it's not something you think about. Just the wrist. And I'm really curious what it is that's stopping Nico Stern from being able to take face-offs. But he can go out there and play the game that he's playing and kind of work through the pain otherwise. Totally. It's so strange. All right, guys. I guess right here's a good point to uh, take a second and acknowledge our friends over at Total Beverage. Everybody knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know that they deliver? Did you know that they have curbside pickup available? And did you know that they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th in Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. Peter, I know you, you mentioned the other day that you're a wine guy. I mean, and you're spending some time in a hotel room. I can see a little bit of the Nashville skyline behind you. Why not take a second and, and get on an online wine education class and be a little sommelier <laughs> while you're on the road? That's not a bad idea. I should do that. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about how it's it's hard to always go out when you're on the road, spending a lot of times in your ho a lot of time in your hotel. Why not use it wisely with with our friends over at Total Bev? No, Peter, is it true? Did, did Nashville give you guys a shot of Jack Daniels like they have in years past, or they did, did they do away? They did. Wow, oh my God! I took it between the second and the third period. <laughs> That's incredible. So that that was the that was the most rebellious thing I've done in a while. That's pretty Love wild. It. It's wild that they're just <laughs> openly supporting that. I know. I mean, I've heard from Mike Chambers and Adrian Dater that the the Pepsi Center press box used to have alcohol in it back in the day, and I'm like, man, I don't know if you could trust this group of media members to have alcohol for free up up nowadays. Start some fights or something. <laughs> Um, yeah, let's get into the power play, guys. Obviously, I think the power play was a major reason for the win in Game 3, going 4 for 5. They've gone 6 of 14 so far in the uh, series. But, of course, they went 0 for 4 in Game 2. So I think you can definitely point to the power play success as being a major catalyst into what they're doing because you get no power play goals in Game 2, and that's the one you only win 2-1 and has to go to overtime. 
And I thought the power play honestly looked okay in that game. It was just that Ingram was was doing doing <laughs> remember, his thing. Remember, you guys, the last power play they had in regulation in game two. It was they had there a was, lot of chances. I feel there like. was JJ. Think back to the one where it was like chance. There was like four minutes left in regulation or five minutes left. And it was like chance after chance, and then the penalty even expired, and the Avalanche kept going, and Nashville kept blocking the shots, and it was kind of this like score the frick, do the thing, and they couldn't do the thing, and the the whole arena was losing its mind. It was that was like the art of hockey was fun for those three minutes to see the avalanche just cycle the puck and, and do the thing that they were doing, the skill thing that the Avs were doing. It was it was incredible. I think that was throughout the, the regular season. That was kind of always such a head-scratcher for me because considering the personnel that they have on that power play, I mean, with a man advantage, that, that that's just too good of a squad to not skate circles around the defending team, yeah. right? I mean, you, you look at the guys who have scored. You have McKinnon has two, Landis Gog has two, Kadri with one. I mean, those are the top guys you expect to be putting up points. So, uh, you know, just having the that group that they have. And they're also smart, right? I mean, I don't know if you guys have paid attention as closely as I have, but lately I've been watching the power play to kind of see what form they're using, what structure, right, Arif? Because you and I, through the regular season, broke down whenever they would change the power play. And they're yeah. using such a hybrid of every power play that they've ever used. If you watch <laughs> Nathan McKinnon, he doesn't just park himself on that circle. He's moving, and everybody else kind of reacts to where he's going and where what he's trying to do. So um, I love what what they're doing with that power play. If you get the chance, kind of watch Nathan McKinnon's movement. But it's it's really kind of becoming a creative power play, I think. It really is the way that McKinnon can go from being the guy on the point to the guy, you know, pretty much borderline in front of the crease. If Nichushkin's not there, Landeskog's not there is, is incredible. And, and I remember, Peter, you I don't remember if you wrote about this because there's a lot of things you've written that I've read this past season. But there was that time period where Jared was openly talking about how he was changing the power play structure and doing all these different things. And even like the guys, we would ask players like, yeah, there's a new power play structure. And they're like, yeah, it's so different. Like. That was a penalty what? kill, right? Was that penalty kill or power? I think play? that was penalty kill. In... You're yes, you're right. Okay, I'm I'm mixing up a couple of things. My bad. Yes. All right. Well, we're not Sorry. gonna talk that. So I'm in a, no. Thank you for catching that. But there is uh, there is my moment of the podcast that will gladly stay in. But hey, I have them all. Hey, we're all about accountability. <laughs> we we so we, is we Jared. say a lot of we say a lot of smart things, and so every once in a while we like to show that we're human. Uh, yeah, no, I totally get that. Yeah, but I, I do remember that that was the penalty kill because the PK was what was struggling and, and they went Because now that I think about it, it was guys like Eric Johnson talking about it, not power play guys. But uh, but yeah, going back to the power play, it's just something about the way that like Nathan McKinnon's everywhere. I think you and I said that like he was he was at the circle waiting for a one timer and then he was at the blue line waiting for a one timer. And I'm like, did he just pass to himself? Like it just he, the way he cycles and moves and even Kale McCarr, you see him kind of playing the guy up against the half boards is, is pretty cool to see the way that the abs move on the PP. And I think the the one thing that I find really interesting is that it still hasn't gotten Miko Rantanen going. And when that happens, because yeah. you know that's coming, yep. like that could be that could be really, really dangerous. And obviously, you know, like the abs have a lot of guys going right now. And when Miko gets going, someone else might go cold. But like yeah. the fact that Rantanen and Burakovsky who are two of their better like offensive presences have done very little offensively. That well, that's not true. Miko has created a lot. He just hasn't scored. Burkowski, the third line maybe hasn't generated a ton offensively. But I actually have liked Burkowski's game defensively a lot. 
Um, but besides the point, I still think that there's weirdly like another, obviously four out of five is about as good as you can hope for on the power play. But I think like in terms of consistency and they're going to play better penalty kills as they go, I think there's still a bit, uh, there's almost another level when Rantanen gets, gets going. For sure. And then there's also a question that I have. JJ kind of touched on this earlier, but there's this, I don't want to call it a secret weapon, but like this extra piece that the Avalanche haven't used yet in Alex Newhook. And when I look at the third line, you have JT Comfort at center, you have Andre Burakovsky on the wing, and then you have the other wing where Abe Kubel is playing right now. When you have Abe Kubel in, the, in that spot and you look at the line as a whole, it's a more defensively sound unit. You take out Abe Kubel, you put in Newhook, you let him and Burakovsky do their offensive thing and Comfort pitching in where he can, being a net foot presence and all that. It is suddenly a more offensive-minded line. So when the Avalanche need more offense, which they sure as hell don't need right now, I read a cool stat today, I think it may have been from Brendan McNicholas, that you know last year the Avalanche scored 15 goals in their first three games, and that was a franchise record. And then this year they are now up to 16 goals in their first three games, and that is now the new franchise record. So they certainly don't need goals right now, but... When they do, they can plug new hook in, and now suddenly you got three scoring lines in the fourth line that we just spent 10 minutes talking about. But, you know, on one hand, you don't want to change the lineup, but on another hand, do you get new hook into a game in this series, or do you just kind of let it ride till the next series and go to that well when you need to? I mean, I go back and forth because I, I mean, I think it would be fun to see Alex Newhook play just because I, I like watching him play, and I think Same. he's a really good player. Um, but I think if I'm a coach, I'm like, what, what has anyone done to deserve being taken out of the lineup? And what, like the, the Stanley cup playoffs are about like doing what you can to win games. And clearly they thought that these lineups have been the best chances they've had to win games. And if you still feel that way, which they've given you no reason to think otherwise, like Alex Newhook will be, he'll be amped up to play whenever he gets in. It doesn't matter if it's now. It doesn't matter if it's in the second round. Like getting him 18 minutes of playing time in game four isn't going to, I don't think that necessarily is going to make the difference. I think Alex Newhook will play at some point in these playoffs and will be important. But I think probably as I've talked through this, I'm kind of like you, you go with what's working. Yeah. I mean, how much of that sentiment is, you, I guess, thinking Jared Bendar believes that this is the best lineup that that he can win with, or how much do you think it's more of a matchup situation? And he thinks this is our best lineup against the Nashville. I think Predators. it's matchup. I think it's it's matchup. it's one hundred percent a matchup because to me, when you look at Nashville's third line, it's Tanner Janot, Yakov Trenin, and Colton Sissons, and they said we need Abe Kubel in that spot, which makes sense. Like I totally am here for it, and if they switched. Obe Kubel and O'Connor would still make sense because you need a guy like that. But, you know, if you play, I don't know, St. Louis and Minnesota are now tied 2-2. St. Louis just defeated them in game four, uh, which, by the way, Jordan Bennington's first playoff win since, since winning game the seven. Cup in 2019. Yep. Yeah, he went 0 for 9 with a 4.51 goals against average since. It's crazy. So um, whether it's St. Louis or Minnesota, especially St. Louis, those are teams that have depth on the third line. And then suddenly you're like, all right. Obe Kubel's going up against, oh, I don't know, Buchnevich. Like, it's it's a little bit different at that point. But right now, it's it's 100% a matchup thing in my eyes. 
Um, yeah, let's talk about the other side of the ice real quick. That's one Matt Duchesne. I mean, I know Connor Ingram kind of stole the storylines with his play and, and really absorbed a lot of the attention, but did any of you guys see Matt Duchesne having three goals? Did you guys have that on your bingo sheet? So Man. it's it's kind of weird. I, I, I have no beef with Matt Duchesne. I know people don't like him. He seems like a good dude who has matured a lot and, like, I don't. Yeah. I obviously don't have the fan history of like a lot of people, but I will say he has three goals, but two came in an absolute blowout when the Avs were garbage up by a ton. Yeah. And I, I think I wrote I, this. I felt kind of mean writing this, but like I said, <laughs> that he didn't even have the puck long enough in game two to get booed. Like he I just, think I heard him get booed one time. Yeah, yeah. Like he, he, he was kind of a. I mean, there the. I think the 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 Avs' ability to shut down him and Forsberg, which is a solid line, has been really encouraging. Um, I, they're going to see better lines going forward. The Predators don't have like a factory of forwards, but I think that like it's kind of fun that he's had three goals. But I don't know if it's necessary. Some of part of me is like, well, two of them were when they were made it like. Five to one and seven to two. <laughs> yeah, I had so many people tweeting me going in true Matt Duchesne fashion. He shows up in garbage time, and I'm just like, ouch. That's but, a little mean. <laughs> yeah, that, that's so mean. But the thing with Matt Duchesne for me is like, like you said, you don't you don't have that connection. I obviously have a lot more of that connection. Let me tell you guys a fun fact that I am not too proud to admit. When I was 16 years old, the very first car I got in Michigan, I paid 120 dollars for my license plate to literally say Duchesne nine. Oh, I was Eric. that guy. I was that 16-year-old. It was a very – oh, you should ask Mike Chambers about it. The first time he saw it, he damn nearly vomited. It was, it was a great time. Um, but, yeah, so I obviously loved Matt Duchesne as a fan when I was 16, 17. He scored his first goal in the NHL at Joe Louis Arena. I was seven rows up where he scored on Chris Osgood, and it was a great time. And then there was that dip. But what I'm seeing from Duchesne now is exactly what Peter said, and I've referenced it before. He was on a podcast. If you haven't listened to it, and I'm listen, I'm talking to my to the listeners right now. If you haven't listened to Matt Duchesne as a guest on the Athletic Show with Craig Custance and Sean Gentili, go back and listen to it. He talks about now being a father, having a daughter, moving to Nashville. His mindset, everything about him is a different person from what you remember with the Avs. My whole thing with Duchesne is like, I feel bad that he's on this team. And no disrespect to Nashville, they got a kid that's you know could maybe get some votes in the in the Calder Trophy and Tanner Jeannot. They got a Norris Trophy caliber defenseman who is going to either finish first or second with Kel McCarr and Roman Yossi. Philip Forsberg put up 40 goals. UC Soros is a star. But Nashville isn't, you know, a team that's going to be contending for a Stanley Cup for the next five years. It's, it's just not a thing, and I wish that Duchesne was playing on a team that was. I will say, though, that part of... And I, I, this is not a shot at Duchesne by any means, but part of the reason this team won't be contending for a Stanley Cup is because Duchesne's going to be making it's a lot of be, money. Because they went out and gave Matt Duchesne $8 million to be a top-line center that he's not. And it's the same mistake somebody's going to do with Nazem Kadri this summer if he doesn't return to the Avs. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I, I get so, it. And I'm not saying that as like, a, oh, Matt Duchesne is like, doesn't deserve that money because like he obviously earned that contract. It's But it is like... When you're paying someone that much, they have a lot tied up in a few different contracts in a way yeah. that is probably not. Let me look at their like cap friendly sheet. They um, got eight million on on uh, him and Johansson, which is another guy that they yeah. gave top line money to, who is not a top line. So center. yeah, if you're giving sixteen million dollars to Duchesne and Johansson, 
I mean, that might cost them Forsberg this offseason, or they keep Forsberg and are going to be paying another guy who's like, I mean, obviously, but like a lot of those, Duchesne played like a top line guy this year and Forsberg did too, but like he's probably, that's probably not who he is, you know? Yeah. So I wish, I wish Duchesne could get traded to a team where he could be the number two center on a team that could contend. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe for some crazy ass reason of Guinea Malkin walks, maybe he goes and plays behind Sid, like just something like that, a better situation for him, because at, at this point of his career with and, and I don't think people had talking about Matt Duchesne for five minutes on their list of what was going to come up in a positive light. But with the regular season he had where he ha- is in his career at this age, I saw Ryan O'Reilly from the 09 draft win a cup. I see John Tavares on a team that's going to go for a cup. I see uh, other guys from the 09 draft. Victor Hedman has won a cup. Evander Kane, hell, he's on a freaking good team that could win a cup. Nazem Kadri, seventh overall pick, is out here trying to get a cup. And the third overall pick in Matt Duchesne is on Nashville, which is a playoff fringe team for the last couple of years. And is, but they always make the playoffs, which that's better than a lot a of fringe, teams. Yeah. But also it's like, that's the worst place to be in. That's where the Red Wings were for three years, just to keep their streak alive. If you're going to be a playoff fringe team that is going to make it every season to play Carolina last year and be like, Hey, good job. You took Carolina to six games and then get swept by the avalanche as Daryl Sutter calls a waste of eight days. Uh, what's the point? And, yeah. and that's kind of where Nashville is right now. And it, it sucks for him because I know that's where he wanted to be. It's where he wants to set up camp. But it's like, you got one more move in you, dude. You got to go somewhere where you can play and I, win. I, I mean, it's hard for me to get feel too, too bad. Like, I think it seems like he's pretty happy. He's on a team that will at least be a solid team. And he's making $8 million. He's making $8 million living in a pretty cool city with, with, with great teammates and a great coach. Like, it's, yeah. you know. It's not the worst thing in the world. But sorry, JJ, we went a little off topic there. No, no, that's I'm just going to jump right into the conversation. That's what I was going to say, right? I mean, there's a lot of comparisons with this team. Uh, the, the Predators right now with where the Avalanche were the last time these two teams met in the playoffs, right? This 17-18 season. So, I mean, you look at that, and that's essentially where they are. You, you Go back to the beginning of the season when the Seattle Kraken draft was happening, and they were trying to pawn off both Johansson or, or Duchesne, either one. <laughs> Please take one of these guys, right? That, that They didn't that's signified to me that they didn't expect themselves to be where they are today. And a big mm-hmm. reason they are is because of Matt Duchesne. So if you just plug in a few more pieces and, you know, let the process happen for the next couple of years, they could easily be in contention again. I see it the other way is what you're saying. I agree with you that they sure as shit didn't see themselves in this position because they went out and traded Ryan Ellis and Victor Arvidsson. When they traded Victor Arvidsson, Peter Forsberg, Peter Forsberg, the other guy, Philip Forsberg, put up a post on Instagram with like sad faces and frustrated like emojis because they just traded his friend and the guy that he played on a line with and was successful with. Nashville didn't expect this. I see it the other way. Matt Duchesne is 31 years old. He just had a career year. If you're in Nashville, you would be stupid not to see what the market is for him and just maximize his value. Send him to a team stupid enough to trade for a 31-year-old making $8 million for the next five years like Pittsburgh who wants to maximize you know, Sidney Crosby's career uh, because they're in a different point in their, you know, trajectory than where Nashville is. You know, this is assuming Malkin doesn't return, which I'm just throwing out a random team. That's the only one I could think of. Like, that's what and, you should be doing if you're Nashville. And maybe you eat $3 million of the contract. And- Three, two, one and a half, whatever, whatever it need to, you need to do. Take on the contract. Take on another contract. If there's a bad contract, another team wants to give you. Do what you got to do to maximize the value of Matt Matt Duchesne and get something back for him that you sure as hell wouldn't have gotten last year 
especially because you wanted Seattle to take him for free. It he is put up 40, 43 goals and 86 points. It's crazy. It is interesting of if you're Nashville and you could do it all over again. And I don't think that I don't think that you do it, but like imagine what they could have gotten for Philip Forsberg at the deadline. Yeah. And and the thing is though, is that I think it does send like and by all accounts, their GM cares about like putting a compelling product on the ice and like making this team good. And like you can I think people have different philosophies on like tanking and tearing it down and all that. But if you're Nashville and like you trade Forsberg at the deadline, all of a sudden, like your fans are mad. Your team is I mean, that's a way to lose the locker room like it it would be a mess. But it is interesting to think about, like if they they could have gotten a lot for him and what that what their haul would have looked like for a guy that they're either going to have to overpay to keep this offseason or they're not going to be able to keep. The cool thing about what I like about what they do, and it's, you know, this is largely in part because they are the, you know, the team that they are in terms of, uh, they are the market that they are, is that David Poyle's been there the entire time and not once has Nashville tanked. The one time that they got a top five pick, uh, not the one time, but like the only time in recent history that they got a top five pick was in, the 2012-2013 season when they obviously drafted Seth Jones and then went on freaking traded him for Ryan Johansson of all guys but uh they finished fourth from the bottom in the NHL 27th and um you know that was a shortened season like they always put like how many years in a row did they were they led by like the corpse of Paul Correa, Jason Arnett, David Leguan, Martin Erat, all these random guys and then they traded Erat for Philip Forsberg it was like one of the biggest one-sided trades in NHL history in recent memory. So you know that David Poyle can't just blow it all up, but, um, you know, as an avalanche podcast, the predators are exactly what I expected them to be for the abs in the first round. It's a team that was a fringe bubble team that was going to battle to make the playoffs. And especially when they lost UC Soros became a much easier target than if they had a goalie that could steal a game or two, like we're seeing with Dallas and Jake Ottinger. Yeah, and as Peter said, you know, we'll see how, I guess, Philip Forsberg's the first domino to fall, right? And depending which direction he falls, it'll really tell as to which direction this uh, franchise is headed. But with that, I guess let's look ahead at game four. Let's make a slight prediction here. Do you guys think we see the sweep? And um, aside from the sweep, what else are you looking to uh, keep an eye on in this game? You know, especially thinking about maybe the next round here. I think it would be this would be a great opportunity for Rantanen to get on the score sheet <laughs> with a goal. But I wanted. <laughs> I mean, I just think that's like it, it's as soon as you get him going, and, and I think sometimes it really is as simple as just seeing a puck go in. And I don't want to make any of this sound like Rantanen's playing bad because he's facilitating at such an elite level. And I think he, he's up to five assists. Yep. Yeah, he's averaging. Five. Yeah, he's uh, he he has the same number of points as McKinnon. I think, oh. uh, just no goals. Um, but it's like, I think this could, this would be a nice time to, to get him going. And also if Kemper's eye is still swollen, like it'd be fun to see Pablo Francis like get a playoff start. This is a guy who works really hard and by all accounts is a really nice dude. So like that, that would be fun. Um, I, if you're asking me to predict, I just like, I mean, I think if I'm looking at the talent on the avalanche versus the talent on the predators, especially with Saros out, it's hard for me not to pick in a head-to-head matchup on a given night the team that's just the better team. So I, I would probably pick it's, the Avalanche. 
yeah, I what I was gonna say before Peter started was Mika Ranton is gonna put like a nice two goals, one assist, and the Avalanche are gonna win it. It's it's two things for me. It's number one, the we talked about it in game two that Connor Ingram's performance was so reminiscent of Andrew Hammond when he was with the Avalanche against Nashville. The only difference is uh, nothing but guts didn't happen for the Predators with that call. The Avalanche didn't get that second goal, or the Predators didn't get that second call that they needed to steal the game behind their goalie's performance like the Avs did in 2018. Um, <laughs> for Cal Hearts, whatever the hell Mark Moser was on when he made that call, that was a great time. Um, Real but- quick, um, after game two, I was, uh, you know, we wrapped up the podcast and I went to the bathroom before leaving the building and it was so lucky of me, both Peter McNabb and Mark Moser walk into the bathroom with me. So I'm chatting it up with both of them. And Peter McNabb made a similar comment, said, you know what Nashville needs right now? Sven Andragetto. <laughs> <laughs> Four cow hearts, three. What were the other things? I need to I need to go back and look up that call. Have you ever heard that call, Peter? I need to look it up. Okay, I, it's, I it's think so I know funny. the game you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's I'll the game. It. It's the game where the Avalanche, where Andrew Hammond stole a game, and and Mark Mosier lost his mind. Four cow hearts and three. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't remember what else he said, but it was something about guts. But, um, but yeah. So going back to that, what was even more reminiscent of that was like Andrew Hammond had this performance. The Avalanche are going back for Game Six to Pepsi Center. He can do it again and force a Game Seven. And Nashville puts up a five spot and just <laughs> destroys the avalanche. And Andrew Hammond came right back down to earth, just like Connor Ingram did in game four, in game three. Yeah. So, you know, Connor Ingram is still Connor Ingram. Uh, with Frankie in that, with Kemper in that, Ingram is still who he is. And uh, that's a goalie that should not be playing for this team right now because UC Soros should. Unfortunately for them, he's not. So the avalanche are going to score a lot of goals again. They're going to win this thing in four. And every single year, every first round, I, I, I went back a few years, and the only one I could find was the bubble. Every first round has a sweep. And do you know why the bubble wasn't a sweep? What? Why? Because Darcy Kemper stood on his head in game two. <laughs> yeah. the Avs. Gentleman sweep in game three, yeah. There you go. Okay. So, uh, And the Avalanche swept first round last year, too. And I think this is a much better version of last year's team, despite the personnel changes. So I easily see a sweep happening. There's got to be a first round sweep somewhere. And this is the only one it can still happen. And so I'm calling sweep. So am I. Um, and uh, I would I would love to see Andre Burakovsky score a goal as well, just because I feel for the guy. And, and I mean this with all due respect to his line mates. He went from being a top six forward on that stack team to I'm a third liner playing with a couple of gritty forwards like Abe Kubel. And I don't think anybody is more excited for the potential of Newhook playing than Burakovsky because he's like <laughs> a skilled guy with talent that I could like go back yeah. and forth with. So um, I'd love to see Berkey score a goal. But like I you mean, said, Peter, he has been great defensively. I'm Yeah, not he deserves a lot of credit for that. He and does. also, if he ever does get going offensively, I wonder if they move him back up the lineup because he is so good when yeah. he's at, like who do you move Lekkonen looks so good so I don't know Chushkin. this team yeah. is just loaded with riches I I we, we already said it but I I can't stress enough how like wonderful Joe Sackick what a great job he did and Josh Manson and Arturi Lekkonen walking around the hallways of Pepsi Center acting like a big shot freaking chewing an apple and I'm looking at him like hey you gonna make any trades and then Arturi Lekkonen was the guy like what an exceptional move from Joe Sackick for both him and for Josh Manson. Yep. 
Right on. Well, uh, that's all I have on the docket for today, guys. Uh, let's start to wrap it up here. Any closing thoughts you guys want to get off your chest before we head into not only game four, but potentially even the second round here? No closing thoughts for me. Thank you, guys. Right. It's a pleasure as I'm going to go off the I'm going to go off the grid again. I still got those 23 2013 standings pulled up cuz I wanted to make sure that was the year Nashville finished fourth in the bottom. I'm going to start from the 30th place team. Here is the bottom teams in the 2013 season. Florida Panthers, Colorado Avalanche, Tampa Bay Lightning, Nashville Predators, Carolina Hurricanes, Calgary Flames. <laughs> Five of those six teams could win the Stanley Cup in wow. like six weeks. That's crazy. <laughs> wow. I love that. So oh, those, my, are, those are my closing thoughts. <laughs> my closing thought is that uh, Pierre Edward Belmar scored in the Tampa game that was on my TV. So good for oh, him. Oh, sweet. Yeah, I saw that there's smoke in Toronto. And, yeah, there. And hey, when you, when you, yeah, he's, sorry, go ahead. He scored their second goal. Oh, nice. Yeah, they went up 2 nothing pretty early in that game. And when you look back to that 2013 season, Florida got Barkov, Colorado got McKinnon, Tampa Bay got Druen, who they traded for, uh, what's his face, Sergachev, Nashville got Seth Jones, who they traded for Johansson, Uh, Carolina got Hannafin, who they traded to the team after them in Calgary for Lindholm, vice versa, you know what I mean, one of them had Hannafin, one of them had Lindholm, traded, blah, 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 moral of the story, you go to the bottom, you draft good players, you go right back up to the top, and you know, that goes back to David Poyle. Maybe you should go to the bottom a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of series are at 2-2. Two, two. Some are going to be at 2-2 two, two tomorrow. Meanwhile, the Avalanche looking at sweeping. So, hey, as the rest of the league beats each other up, the Avalanche can just, uh, you know, watch from afar and keep their rest yeah. going and get and, ready for round by round. Yeah, and I will say I've been biting my tongue this entire... You know how much I love to talk about NHL outside of the Avalanche, JJ, and I've been biting my tongue this entire episode to not talk about the other series because there's a very good chance we're going to need a whole ass week of filler episodes and it's going to be talking about other series because the apps are going to be sitting at home waiting for their next opponent so right i'll save it maybe once this series is over with the avalanche we just turn this into a podcast that focuses on the st louis and minnesota series only hockey mountain high your go-to whoever central division podcast eh? central division podcast there we go there you go right on so uh yeah that being said thanks so much for hanging out with us today on this long version the sunday version of our podcast don't forget to check out our friends at total beverage in westminster and thornton and as always if you made it this far in the podcast bless your pretty little heart let's make hockey for everyone and we ask you